Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so honored that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am joined by Jacob Mekengama, and we're going to talk about free speech. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Jacob and what got me interested in this in just a little bit. However, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I want to let you know a little bit about us. And really, everything that we do is informed by uh, really three uh, core values or core beliefs. And it's this, is that we truly want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And today we're going to get into one of those uh, what sometimes can be difficult conversations around the idea of freedom of speech and understanding that and what that means to us and what that means to other people as well. The second thing is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them uh, 100% or not. And the last one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from uh anything and from everything regardless of what that uh what that medium is and so that's a little bit about us and when and you've been if you've been listening for uh, a little while you know uh one of the best ways to keep up is by subscribing or uh you know following on on the blog to where i give uh some of the resources that i am currently learning from as well and all that stuff will be uh you know linked to in the show notes um or if you have something that you would love us to cover on the podcast maybe there's a subject or that you're interested in learning more about or someone that you're interested in learning more from you know hit me up at learners corner podcast at gmail.com and would love to hear from you or just some of the things that you're learning from you know that's the best way uh to reach out to me and let me know uh kind of what's going on with you and some of the things that you might be interested in learning here on the learners corner podcast. Now, let me tell you uh, a little bit about what got me interested in this. And I'll tell you uh, about Jacob as well. So a few months ago, you know, there was all of this, uh, you know, controversy that was happening around um, free speech and particularly, you know, around um, uh, at least for me and and where I, I saw it play out the most was around the Joe Rogan podcast. Now, if you're not familiar with, uh, Joe Rogan, that's okay. Uh, but many of you might be, and, uh, he is, a he is, uh, you know, pro he probably has the biggest podcast, um, in the world, you know, has, uh, millions and millions of listens just per episode. And so one of the things that he was doing is, you know, on his podcast, he was having uh, people on to talk about the COVID-19 virus. And, you know, they uh, and some of them and some of the people that he had on the podcast, you know, were deemed uh, very controversial figures and, um, you know, maybe were very skeptical of, you know, the vaccine and all of that stuff. And so. All of that, you know, created a large uproar around this, around freedom of speech and what should Spotify do and censoring. And, you know, many people ended up pulling like a lot of their stuff off of uh, Spotify because Spotify, um, you know, currently leases Joe Rogan's podcast. And so people were calling for Spotify to, you know, pull him off of his platform and and all of that stuff, regardless of all of that stuff. That's what really got me interested in learning more about free speech and learning what is free speech, what constitutes free speech, what what isn't free speech, and what are some of the dynamics and tensions and different angles and perspectives around free speech. So that led me to Jacob and this book that he's written called Free Speech, A History from Socrates to Social Media. And so that's what got me interested in this. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jacob, and then we're going to dive right into the conversation. So Jacob is the founder and executive director of the Danish think tank Hustatia and the host of the podcast Clear and Present Danger, A History of Free Speech. His writing on free speech has appeared in several languages and outlets across the globe, including The Economist, The Washington Post, and Foreign 
policy. He currently lives in Copenhagen, Denmark. And with that, without any further wait, let's jump into my conversation with Jacob. Well, Jacob, I'm so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Yeah, uh, Caleb, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to uh, this conversation. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, one of the things that I typically love to ask people, you know, whether they've uh, written a book or created a work of art, or um, in your case, it is a book, but it's also a pursuit that you have, like with a podcast series and stuff. I love hearing uh, what got people interested in the subjects that they're learning about. And so I'd be curious to hear for you of what got you interested in learning more about free speech. Yeah, I think for me, it was uh, the fact that uh, I I grew up in, uh, in Denmark, which in many ways is, is a bit of sort of a liberal, democratic, secular uh, haven and uh, took free speech for granted. But then in 2005, 2006, uh, Denmark became the epicenter of a global battle of values over the relationship between free speech and religion after a Danish newspaper published a number of cartoons that depicted the Muslim prophet Muhammad and that sort of uh, sparked a, a, a huge backlash. A number of Muslim-majority uh, countries uh, boycotted Denmark, demanded that uh, that, that, that uh, blasphemy be banned in international law. And even more seriously, terrorists um, started threatening uh, cartoonists uh, and, and so on. So that, so that, that that's what really started uh, my interest in the whole idea of, of, of free speech. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned something that uh, I'd be curious uh, for your take on is, you know, me living in the United States, you know, free speech is a lot more uh, prevalent than a, than a lot of areas, you know, around the world. And, um, you know, I, we can grow up like that is kind of like the normal. And so I'd be curious for your thoughts of for those of us who do have more free speech, what do we, what can we tend to take for granted that other countries and other people may not have as ac- as much access to? Well, I think, you know, there's so many activities that are part of our everyday uh, lives that um, that we take for granted and we don't think of them as exercising free speech. You know, um, think of all the things that we write you know, criticizing, you know, politicians or powerful individuals or, or companies on social media. Uh, we, we do that uh, all the time, you know, or converse freely uh, at work with, with, with colleagues. You know, if you, you were living in China or um, Iran or even uh, in Putin's Russia, uh, those were not activities that you, that you could do or, you know, Take the the Black Lives Matter uh, protest uh, across the U.S. in 2020. You know, um, if you had gone back uh, to the 1950s in the U.S., uh, you certainly could not have done that in Southern states, um, uh, and especially not as an African American. Uh, you would have been uh, you you would have been met with uh, all kinds of laws and harassment, uh, including by law enforcement, uh, and 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 so those are things that we that that we take for granted, um, which which whereas they really are, uh, so, so we don't appreciate them in the way that perhaps we should. Yeah, and. Uh... You know, we, we were talking before, you know, we started recording and everything that at least right now, free speech seems to be more on top of mind, at least in the United States, um, you know, for for what everybody is talking about and discussing around and debating and arguing and all of that stuff. And I would be curious to hear um, some of your thoughts on, you know, at, at least for me, maybe am I imagining it? Is that true? And if so, like, what is what is leading to free speech more, being more prevalent now than and maybe recent history. I think um, I think you know from from one point of view, you know, if you ask Americans, they generally <clears throat> um, more than ninety percent will say that free speech is a very important value. So they're up there along with the Scandinavian countries in terms of support for for free speech um, at a global level. However, uh, it's not a secret that the U.S. Um, is 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 living through um, 
um, a, a very partisan uh, moment and, and, and a culture war that to a large degree shapes people's attitudes to, towards various principles and ideas. And you see that when it comes to free speech. So if you ask Republicans and Democrats about their tolerance for, for various types of expression, uh, they will vary uh, according to whether they're blue or red. Uh, and, and, and that I think is one of the dangers to free speech because if your if your um, if your support for free speech um, becomes sh shaped by your underlying ideological preferences, then free speech uh, culture is hollowed out, and that will ultimately risk also endangering the the very strong legal constitutional protection that Americans enjoy. Uh, under the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at least at least from my perspective, and, and you know, feel free to to disagree and even to add on to this. Um, but it seems like we we tend to want free speech when free speech works for us. But whenever it works for somebody else, we may not want free speech to work for them. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I I think that, you know that's a that's a very human uh, principle. It's something in the book that I call mill. Milton's curse, because John Milton, who wrote *Aristocracy* in, in 1644, as, as as a protest against pre-publication censorship, um, but he was only in favor uh, of press freedom for sort of mainline Protestant sects. He, he not not for Protestants or atheists or or other sort of um, uh, religious or secular um, ideas or ideologies that he deemed beyond the pale. Uh, and, and, and so we see that uh, today. So for instance, um, Democrats will be much more unlikely to, uh, su or to, to support, uh, for instance, um, or um, the, 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 that the, the First Amendment should protect um, disinformation that relating to election uh, results and uh, and 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 the uh, and the pandemic uh, than Republicans. On the other hand, Republicans will be much more unlikely to than than Democrats to support First Amendment uh, protections of racial justice uh, protests. And and during the Trump presidency, the Republicans were a, plur a plurality of Republicans were in favor of the president being able to to sort of punish. Uh, Media that that were that were sort of behaving badly or reporting in a biased uh, manner, so 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 that unfortunately shows um, this uh, ideological partisan divide over the limits of, of free speech uh, in in America. Hmm. Yeah, what what's some of the 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 tension that you personally feel around free free speech and how you've experienced it? Well, you know, I'm a human being like like everyone else. So I uh, there, there there are certain types of speech that I also react almost viscerally to, and that where my gut instinct is to to not want to t tolerate it and just ban it because you know, I think I think that that's a very human uh, reaction. I think that's in many ways our default position. Uh, so so um, you know, um, and 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 so I really have to check my. <laughs> Check my my biases and and my my emotional uh, impulses and and, and instincts um, and 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 override my 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 natural tendencies to to intolerance when it comes to you know Holocaust denial or um, mm. um, when it comes to sort of uh, extreme hate speech and so on. Um, but ultimately, I I, I do believe that uh, in free and open democracies. Uh, it's not only dangerous uh, from a principle point of view to undermine free speech, uh, even when it comes to, to extreme speech, but it's also counterproductive and, and, uh, and, and inefficient. Uh, and, and so it's better for, for, for us as a, society, as a society to hold our noses and tolerate that, but that should not be confused with, with approving content that we tolerate. I think, mm. unfortunately, the ability to distinguish between tolerance and approval is often often gets lost, especially when when it's uh, em uh, emotionally heated uh, discussions. Uh, then then it becomes very difficult for people to accept 
that that people might tolerate something without actually approving uh, of, of of content. Mm, yeah, can you tease out that what you just mentioned that approving versus tolerance thing because that's a, that's yeah. so key. Yeah, it, it's absolutely key. It, it, you know, so. Um, I don't know what your politics are, but but very likely, you know, if you and I were to discuss politics, we could find uh, areas where we disagreed. Uh, and so uh, let's say uh, that we found uh, an area where we disagreed. Um, then uh, I could say, well, you have the right to uh, hold those views and express those views and advocate for those views. Uh, I, I, I think they should be tolerated, but that doesn't mean that I approve of them. I, I actually disapprove of them. And then I, in turn, will use my right to free speech to counter your uh, views, the views that I might be willing to tolerate, but will not uh, approve of. And, and vice versa, you could say, well, Jacob, your political views, I think, are completely bunkers, uh, but I think they should be tolerated, uh, even if I don't approve of them. And then you could use your right to free speech to counter uh, my my views. And and that really is, you know, the basis of a peaceful uh, society where people can compromise uh, politically, but also in just in everyday situations. You know, that's how free speech becomes the antithesis of violence by the, the fact that we can tolerate dissent, tolerate ideas with which we strongly disagree. Can you maybe say more about like what does respectfully disagreeing look like with someone versus, um, you know, trying to uh, censor? Or you could say can't like cancel cancel the person too, or just trying to shut them down. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, yeah, what does, is, what's the difference? The, this is one of the trickier questions, and I think you know, at the time of, of speaking, that you know we're almost a week away from a, a an editorial in the New York Times, which would. Uh, had uh, said that America has a free speech problem because a number of Americans report that they are afraid of of speaking their mind on certain top, uh, top, like, topics um, because they're afraid of being shamed or, or, and the like. Uh, and, and so the question then becomes, you know, is that a problem for, for free speech? And I think we have to distinguish here. I think, you know, um, being criticized, even vehemently, even you know, even being the butt of jokes and so on—that's just part that that you know that not that might not be sort of uh, best practice uh, uh, public discourse and debate. But that's 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 part of the cost of participating in in the in the public sphere. You know, you can't expect everyone, especially not in the age of social media, to respond uh, with. Uh, with with um, university level uh, discourse. Um, however, there's a difference between someone responding with uh, more, more or less sophisticated <laughs> arguments or even scorn and mockery, and then someone calling for you to be fired or suffer disciplinary sanctions. Now, now calling for someone to be fired or, or you know, someone who's a university professor or an employee at a cultural institution or, or, or whatever, calling for them to be fired is obviously an exercise of free speech. You know, that, that, you, know, that, that you have a right to do so, but I believe that undermines the culture of free speech on which the principle and legal protection of free speech ultimately depends. So that's where I think cancel culture, even if it has become sort of a loaded term, uh, is relevant, and and that's where I think um, we should. Uh, I, that's where I think uh, the New York Times editorial was right at pointing a a, a finger at, at that as a problem. Um, you know that you know if 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 universities or, or media outlets, you know if employees there are afraid of speaking their minds because. Um, People will will demand that they be fired or sanctioned. Then that uh, ultimately has um, the the, the uh, risks um, undermining the, the the culture of tolerance that that free speech ultimately depends on. Hmm. What have, what have you learned about how to? Um... I don't know if thrive is the right word or just live in, in a time to where like, like, you know, you do have free speech, but at the same point, uh, 
people are trying to sense like censor you know disagreeable ideas or what they what other people might uh, label as dangerous ideas what have you learned about um just navigating through that um well you know <clears throat> i you know i'm i'm you know i'm i'm, I'm certainly uh, as i mentioned before uh, like everyone else i i can be uh caught up by you know the 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 my lesser instincts and, and react with snark or uh, and, and, and so on. But I think in general, it helps a lot to develop a detached attitude towards um, content on social media and so on. Uh, and, and what people say on social media, especially what they direct against you. Uh, and don't, you know, don't necessarily think that that you know that, that that means that the whole world thinks uh, like like that. Um, so uh, and, and this is really ancient wisdom going back to to you know two thousand years or more to sort of the, the Roman Stoics who 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 developed this very detached attitude towards insults, saying you know uh, stay above it, uh, don't uh, don't get yourself sullied in in. Uh, in, in that kind of uh, of discourse, and that's sometimes very very difficult, because you know you emo you you get provoked or you react uh, emotionally. But I think it helps a lot having that kind of attitude. And also, I think try yourself to be magnanimous in in uh, in 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 discussions. If you refuse to get dragged down on the level uh, that that someone who attacks you viciously it does I, I think it generally uh, just portrays you in, in a better light and I think you you come off better than if you get dragged into these sort of uh, um, uh, slanging matches where, where where sort of becomes ever more shrill as 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 it descends towards the lowest common denominator so so those those would be a few of the tricks you can you can use. But it's difficult. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, and I and I certainly wouldn't say that I myself always live up to to to, to my own principles. Yeah, is is there anything that um, helps you? Because as as you said, at some point we're all going to get caught. Like something is going to hit us, and it is going to trigger us emotionally. Um, and is there anything that uh, that helps you? Whenever it's like, oh man, I can I can feel the emotion like rising. Uh, is there anything that helps you like catch that or catch yourself in that? Unlike your best days, of course, it's going to get the better than us at some times, but on your best days, what helps you with that? Uh, well, you know, I meditate every day, uh, twice. <laughs> twice. Um, so I think uh, that helps me, has helped me, you know, um, it, it, it helps you become not not slaves to your emotions and feelings um again not always <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah. At, at, at the you know when I, at my best i think that 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 helps me sort of say you know the you know i'm not going to be a slave to to these emotions and i'm not going to let what someone wrote uh, in an emotional state about me define uh who i am and and force me to react in a, in a manner that i'm going to regret uh 30 seconds later and um so 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 that th those are uh, important instruments i think um yeah but but uh of course uh, it's given that we're maybe sort of hardwired to react to to insults um, um uh, emotionally, then it, it's it's difficult for us as, as as human beings. But for me, you know, meditation uh, certainly helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier. You talked about not getting dragged down, um, you know, kind of in, into the mud that someone you know may be, um, you know, talking about someone. And, and I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on maybe teasing out the difference between what what does it look like to criticize someone versus um like piling on or being like overly um uh like the word that just comes to mind is like maybe maybe dehumanizing towards them or um or just too much criticism does that make sense yeah yeah no i i, I think you know <clears throat> you you can 
start, you, you, you know, you can start from the assumption, you know, that you, you don't interpret the commons by, even by someone with whom you disagree, uh, it, you don't you don't ascribe to them the, the worst possible intentions or it, interpret it uh, in in the least favorable uh, way, um, and then you can you know try to 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 actually engage with their arguments uh, rather than sort of adopting straw men or uh, ascribing to them you know, uh, positions or motivations or intentions that, 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 that they haven't explicitly uh, um, uh, written or, 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 or expressed. I think, uh, I think that's a good starting point for, for, for a reasonable argument, argumentation. And then I think, you know, something which um, I think has, has, has really great gains is if you, consistently when you argue um, whether on social media or elsewhere um, show that you are actually willing to admit when you make mistakes uh, we all make mistakes sometimes you know we say things that we haven't thought through or we 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 interpret information in a way that that is uh, that is incorrect or or what we misunderstand or 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 we you know our interpretation uh, doesn't support the full conclusion. So if you show that consistently that you're willing to acknowledge your own mistakes, if you're willing to be persuaded by other people's arguments, I think that also motivates others to engage with you in a more constructive manner. Uh, uh, unlike the situation where you know you'll never back down and and uh, no matter what, and you see it as a as a as a, as, a, as a sign of weakness, if you have to a, a admit uh, mistakes, um, um, so so I think that, that that's that's a good way to be a role model yourself, and I think that also uh, is something that is likely to cultivate respect from others. Maybe not sort of the worst trolls, but yeah, you're maybe not 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 likely to 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 engage with them constructively, anyways. But you know, reasonable people. With, with whom you you disagree about about things, and uh, I think that's that's quite valuable if you can have those kinds of of, of conversations. Yeah, uh, I want to dive into your book a little bit, which I I love so much, and one of the things that I love about it uh, that you do such a good job uh, by by going throughout history is you 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 pull us out a lot of the the current moment and go, this is something that has been that we've been dealing with for thousands of years. Um, and, and I would be really curious to hear your thoughts on what, um, what are some of the, the patterns that you just kept seeing? Like, wow, I can't believe that this keeps showing up in, in societies and, uh, humanities, um, struggle with free speech. Caleb, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I, I just lost you. Sometimes the, the sound breaks up a little bit. Could you just uh, re yeah. Re repeat yeah, I can it? repeat. I can repeat the question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I'm curious to hear about is what are the recurring patterns that you've seen a struggle with or try to figure out as humanity with free speech over the time? Like what has kept showing up over and over again throughout history? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Um, uh, because there are so many recurring themes. So I, I would say that one of the themes, which I, th I think is, is, is very topical right now, is that of elitist versus egalitarian uh, free speech. So that's a conflict which I argue goes all the way back to ancient th times. I, I, I see the origins of free and equal speech um, in the Athenian democracy some 2,500 years ago, where all freeborn male citizens had a, 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 a right to participate directly in, um, in, in, in the democratic process. Um, and where there was also a cultural, uh, larger cultural um, appreciation of free speech, uh, of uninhibited free speech. Um, and you can contrast that with the Roman Republic, where free speech was much more top-down, a more elitist conception of free speech, 
limited to sort of the upper or well-educated uh, elites, uh, where, where, and generally sort of um, uh, excluding the, uh, the the lower classes, the plebs, or the unwashed mob. And and I see I, I see throughout the history, you know, new technological developments or or political developments that enlarge the public sphere, providing a voice to previously marginalized and voiceless groups give rise to tension and these clashes between elitist and egalitarian free speech, where those who are the, the institutional gatekeepers who enjoy a privileged access to shape the, the public sphere generally tend to be very fearful of the consequences of, uh, of, of a more egalitarian uh, public sphere. And, and of course, in the age of social media, that is something we see where uh, even democratic governments are trying to reimpose some kind of top-down control of, of the public sphere. Yeah, and I think for me, one of the stories that stood out the much, and this, this, uh, you know, just just goes to your point of of the ruling elites, is you know, you you talk a lot about Martin Luther in in the book as well, and you know what he did with the Reformation, and you highlight something that I didn't know is that he ended up tur turning a little bit more away away from from free speech, was which, which was very surprising. To me, because that's not typically the story that you hear. No, I, and you know, I don't think that Martin <laughs> Martin Luther believed in free speech uh, in 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 any sort of uh, way that that we would recognize the the, the principle today. He, you know, he himself worked as a, a as a censor at at, at at university. That was part of his duties. But more generally, what he when he challenged the the um, the Catholic Church, he struck a huge. Uh, blow for freedom of conscience uh, by sort of rejecting the authority of the Pope and the Catholic Church and, and saying, you know, show me where in the Bible I'm wrong. Uh, if you can't do that, you know, I won't recant. Uh, consequences be damned. And that was a very courageous uh, move, nearly cost him his life. Um, but what he was not, what he, he was not suggesting in reality universal freedom of conscience. He believed that he, Martin Luther, had discovered the truth and that basically um, the Catholic Church was you know, running a scam um, and, 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 and not selling the, 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 the right, correct version of, of Christianity. And therefore he, his, his version should be the one that was taught to people. Uh, and then he uh, sort of, communicated extremely efficiently his, his, his uh, theological me messages by communicating in German, by writing these short, punchy pamphlets with cartoons and memes, poking fun at, 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 the, at the Catholic Church, demonizing it, demonizing popes and, and, and so on. And, and he communicated to ordinary people. He stressed the importance of teaching ordinary people how to read uh, and write so that they could have access to the Bible themselves um, um, uh, and, and, and really put an emphasis also on, on printing. Um, and that had huge uh, consequences, but uh, you know, when it comes to free speech, I think the, the unintended consequences uh, are, are probably bigger because again, Martin Luther did not intend everyone to you know, read the Bible and then you know, find your own truth, you know, or reject uh, the Bible uh, if you want to. That, that was not the kind of uh, uh, intellectual or religious uh, freedom that he had in mind. He, he, he thought that by providing everyone access to the Bible, they would, they, they would be convinced of his truth. Um, and so when all these alphabet soup uh, of, of sex started uh, emerging from people who had their own ideas after reading the Bible, he became very intolerant and started advocating even for the death penalty for, for, for blasphemy and, and ended up with these sickingly anti-Semitic uh, pamphlets. Um, but, but nonetheless, I think he had a huge, uh, huge impact on, on, the, on, on, on the future of, of free speech and, and freedom of conscience. But uh, I think the unintended consequences were probably uh, more severe than the intended ones. And, and had he, you know, had he known what he had set in motion, he may uh, he, he may not have, have chosen to do so. 
Uh, yeah, can you talk more about just that that intersection that plays between free speech and how that plays out in in religion as well too? Or if maybe there isn't a difference between how they play out, but maybe some of the unique uh, things that lie in between those two intersecting with each other between free speech and religion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So so whereas in the ancient uh, world in in the in the, in the democratic Athenian democracy, you know. Politics was 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 uh, the heart. Uh, politics and philosophy was the heart and soul of of free speech. Uh, the the big burning question about the the limits of free speech in early modern Europe um, becomes uh, be, becomes uh, the question of, of of religion. Sort of um, the, the 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 conflict between Protestantism and and Catholicism that divides uh, Europe. Uh, and and the question of um, you know uh, heresy you know and, and religious uniformity uh, and 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 with time sort of um, a, gradually a viewpoint started starts to emerge where uh, there are people who start arguing you know you know social peace should not be based on forcing everyone to have the same belief we can actually live together in peace even if we tolerate uh, heretics, those who believe in the wrong way, who do not uh, um, follow the official uh, orthodoxy of the state. Now, now uh, previously, that was an, uh, an idea that was anathema to, to most people in Europe. It was thought that this was extremely dangerous, you know, to, to allow uh, heretics um, because uh, that would uh, ultimately um, risk uh, the wrath of God uh, and, and then divine retribution um, and, and no society could, could have uh, cohesion if, 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 you, if you allowed people with the wrong beliefs to, 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 to live in, in, in the same state. Um, um, but, but then so, so the idea of, of religious tolerance uh, emerges and, and then gradually as you have more and more um, Various groups uh, of of religious sects. You also have people who develop increasingly radical theological um, theological um, ideas. Some of them who are some of them which are you know close to comes close to rejecting religion uh, altogether, and then are or are at least so um, heterodox as to be completely incompatible with, with any sort of mainline uh, view of religion. So someone like uh, Spinoza, for instance, um, you know, it's very difficult to square his, 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 his uh, reading of, of the Bible with, with any uh, form of, of revealed, uh, orthodox revealed uh, religion. And you have, then you have deists coming along and, 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 and you know, in the early 18th century, you even start to have uh, atheists um, who, who start criticizing religion and accusing religions of, of being responsible for bloodshed and, and, and oppression and, and for sort of um, limiting the knowledge uh, of, uh, of, of people around the world. Um, so, so, so you see uh, those tensions um, uh, and then gradually that religion, established religion is, is robbed of its powers, of its coercive powers to, 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 to police orthodoxy to the same degree as, as, as it had enjoyed before. Now that does not mean that free speech is, is, is uh, that free speech has, has been realized, but it just means that um, persecuting heretics become, falls out of fashion gradually. Yeah. And you, you have this quote that has got, that has had me thinking since I read it in your book and it's this, and I would love uh, for you just to expand upon it. And it's going back to the heresy that you mentioned in the orthodoxy. And it's that heresy and orthodoxy are two sides of the same coin. Both depend on being defined and enforced by the, uh, by authority. And that just made me think about it in a way that I really hadn't thought about it. Um, and I would just love uh, just your thoughts on that. Yeah, because you know, um, 
for someone to establish an, an, an orthodoxy, you, you need to you need to have some kind of authority that that defines what orthodoxy means. So that could be, you know, the the Catholic Church that can define uh, the orthodoxy of 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 of, of, Catholic, of Catholicism, um, uh, for instance. Um, and then uh, you uh, a next step could be to say that those who don't um, accept orthodoxy are then heretics, uh, and uh, they should be persecuted. They should be persecuted. So this is something that we see once Christianity becomes um, the state religion of the Roman Empire. You know, Christianity goes from being a persecuted sect um, to uh, persecuting not only pagans but also. Um, and so, uh, in the uh, in in medieval times, you even have uh, what we call the medieval Inquisition, where uh, the persecution of of uh, heretics becomes uh, a bit more systematic uh, in uh, throughout Europe. Yeah, and you you have this uh, another quote along the the same lines, which really intrigued me as well. And, and you write in the book, most English censorship laws dealt with forms of defamation or libel rather than heresy, which just got me intrigued because I, I wouldn't have thought that would be the case. Uh, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, on why choosing to censor defamation and libel rather than heresy. Yeah, I, uh, so so this is a a, a legal uh, historian in uh, in England who 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 makes this uh, observation. So basically, you could say that in in, uh, in in some of the Catholic countries, um, especially, uh, and and this is a I believe we're talking about sixteenth um, uh, and and seventeenth century um, Britain here. Um, so, so in, in contemporary Catholic states, you have had a, a systematic attempt after the Reformation to 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 limit the advance of the of of, of the Reformation, and therefore to really um, to to really um, ensure that heretics are are and heresy is dealt with. Whereas in Britain, um, the tradition is, is a bit different. So they um, go after what they view as specific harms. Now, by our standards, uh, those harms <laughs> are, are quite speculative, but it would be, um, but but it would be uh, sort of attacking uh, uh, rulers uh, in, in in words or, or, or writing, sort of, uh, and, and 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 slandering them because that would uh, undermine. Uh, their authorities. Uh, and so that means that comparatively, by the time um, uh, censorship and repression is less extreme uh, in, uh, in Britain uh, at the time compared to, co compared to uh, many other places in, in, in continental Europe. Now, by our standards, uh, it was still quite an extreme regime. You know, you could still uh, get body body parts chopped off and, and and be executed, but 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 uh, that's that was the environment we were dealing with at the time. Yeah, okay. One one other thing that I wanted to ask you about, and you you spend a, a good portion of the book talking about this, but the role of the internet and social media as it pertains to free speech, and I would love for you to just touch on like how that looks like and how we can like how to navigate through that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, of, of course, um, you know, even even though um, free speech as a constitutional freedom and individual right, uh, in principle, gave everyone um, the same access to 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 speak their mind. Uh, in practice, in the analog age, it was it it was really a, a very small portion of society that could that, that 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 got to exercise it so it would be you know journalists editors politicians um prominent intellectuals uh, and so on and if you as an ordinary citizen uh, had to 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 wanted to voice your your opinion in the public sphere you were dependent 
on some kind of institutional gatekeeper to provide you access and an editor who said yes we're going to accept your letter to the editor or yes we're going to interview you uh, for the radio or, 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 or tv uh, or perhaps you could get to to ask a, a meet a question at a, at a public meeting with your uh, uh, political representatives uh, but you couldn't just uh, put say whatever you wanted with the internet uh, and and especially social media that has very much changed so suddenly traditional media uh, and politicians don't uh, act in the same way as traditional uh, gatekeepers uh, to the public sphere and that i think has unleashed some of the same concerns and worries that we saw when the printing press uh, came out and when the telegraph came out that those who are traditional gatekeepers don't uh, like the fact that their status is being eroded and that people who uh, ordinary people who might have extreme ideas and, and some of them do um, can just uh, have an unmediated access to to the public sphere um, so, so I think we're, we're seeing some of those issues uh, play out today yeah and can you talk more about the difference that freedom of speech plays out as it pertains to like the the role of the government and how freedom freedom of speech works versus like a, like a private uh, company such as you know Facebook or Twitter or, or any private company. Yeah, so if you're in the United States, for instance, um, the First Amendment only protects you against uh, government censorship and, and repression, whereas uh, um, uh, Facebook not not only you know has a uh, has a First Amendment right to 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 to, to decide. Uh, to put up on, on, it, on its platforms and, and you as a user don't have a First Amendment right to, to express yourself or, or access uh, information there. But Congress has also um, uh, adopted a, a law which shields um, uh, social media companies and others uh, from, from, uh, from user uh, liability. Uh, so so in, the, in that sense, um, even though, even though you and I, the vast majority of, of our free speech, that of our practical free speech, is exercised on private platforms, um, our exercise is there is not protected by the by the First Amendment. So it becomes private companies who adopt terms and community standards and so on that that define those limits, uh, and initially. These terms uh, and 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 standards were sort of uh, predominantly, I would say, guided by a techno-optimistic belief in, in in sort of First Amendment-ish ideals, with as few limits on free speech as possible. But with time, and especially after the 2016 presidential election, the 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 tables have turn and now governments and institutions and civil society and even a lot of citizens are demanding that these platforms remove more and more speech, uh, whether it's sort of disinformation or hate speech or extremism. And part of that is because um, the internet which started out as, as a much more horizontal and, and decentralized has become a lot more vertical and centralized. So you have a number of platforms that have billions uh, of, of, uh, of users, whether it's Facebook or, or YouTube, um, TikTok, um, and, and accordingly, um, the, you know, uh, their terms and, and, and the, and the, uh, the content there um, has potentially a huge impact um, and, and so people worry about their impact on um, democratic um, referenda and, and uh, elections, uh, on um, uh, you know the ability to uh, to combat uh, COVID, uh, on uh, on on the uh, ability to spread hate speech uh, against vulnerable minorities uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I would say that we're in a moment of sort of elite panic. So even though some of these concerns about the harms of, of, of social media are, are, are real uh, and, and give rise to 
to genuine costs and harms, they are also often exaggerated and, and also and, and, and not well understood. Uh, and, and in particular, I think that the proposals in terms of uh, restrictions and, and, and censorship, uh, especially when it's sort of government mandated, often is a cure worse than the disease. Yeah, I got uh, two more questions that I want to ask you. But before that, is there anything else that we have? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we that we haven't covered in the book. But is there anything like top of mind that it's like, hey, you really want to make sure that you mentioned uh, this or topic around free, free speech or something in the book that really stands out to you? Um, yeah, maybe the maybe uh, about uh, minorities. Um, you know whether free speech is a as a as a threat uh, to minorities or not could be interesting in an American context. Yeah, talk talk about that. Yeah, yes. So so one of one, one of the developments that we see is a bit ironic. It's for instance younger and more progressive and liberal Americans um, are tend to be increasingly skeptical of free speech when it comes to. To, to tolerating uh, what they deem as, as, as racist um, speech. And they do so out of uh, what I'm sure is a genuine concern of, of vulnerable, vulnerable minorities. So they view that free speech as entrenching unequal power relations and, and being sort of weaponized against minorities. But I argue in the book that free speech uh, and equality are not uh, mutually exclusive, they are mutually reinforcing, and that every single oppressed group and minority has relied on the practice and principle of free speech, whereas censorship and repression has been one of the uh, principal weapons of, uh, uh, of, of oppressors, whether, you know, white supremacists or misogynists, uh, and so on. And you see that, for instance, um, with the question of slavery in the U.S., where um, southern states uh, in the 1830s adopted extreme laws uh, prohibiting abolitionist uh, writings and, uh, and advocacy. So, you, um, you know, arguing that slavery was contrary to the Bible, for instance, was was, was banned in, in, in Alabama. And, uh, and uh, on the other hand, you had abolitionists like Frederick Douglass who argued that uh, the right of speech was a very special one, especially to, to the oppressed, and that, and that free speech was uh, one of the most important weapons uh, against slavery, um, and, and that the very reason why slavery still existed in the South was because Southern states uh, rejected uh, free speech. Um, and you also saw the civil, civil rights movement using free speech as a, as a very potent weapon, uh, weapon uh, uh, against Jim Crow laws. Um, so you saw sort of a, a, a positive feedback loop, you could argue. So the, the, the civil rights movement won a number of, of landmark uh, cases bef uh, before the Supreme Court that expanded uh, the, the First Amendment uh, rights to, to, uh, to, to, to peacefully protest uh, 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 for racial justice, which at the same time expanded there and the media's opportunity to shine a cr critical light on racial injustice in these states. So as, as Jen Lewis uh, famously said, you know, without the right to free speech in the First Amendment, the, the civil rights movement would have been uh, like a, a bird without wings. Uh, and I think those insights are incredibly important to keep in mind when it, when it comes to the future status of, of free speech in, in democracies that are committed to both freedom and, and equal dignity. Yeah. And just as we're wrapping up, I would love just your thoughts on what's maybe one or two things to pay attention to as it regards to uh, to our own uh, right of free speech. And what is uh, maybe one or two things to pay attention to and how others um, use their free speech and help us to kind of discern maybe a little bit of um, of how other people use free speech. Yeah, no, I think, you know, we, we uh, have to go back to, to, to this essential principle uh, of, of constantly keeping in mind that, you know, toleration does not mean approval. Uh, and, and, you know, if we can keep that top of mind, I think, I think we can, you know, that is essential to, 
to keeping alive and, and hopefully strengthening a culture of free speech, because as, I, as I've mentioned before, ultimately the culture of free speech, I think, is, is essential for uh, the legal constitutional protection of free speech to be robust. You know, if the culture of free speech withers away, then ultimately there's likely to be uh, one day a Supreme Court majority that no longer will uphold as, as stringent a protection of, of, of free speech under the First Amendment as today. Uh, that has certainly been the case uh, uh, before. In fact, the current strong protection of the First Amendment is a relatively recent phenomenon. Um, so so uh, that means that, that, that each of us have um, a, a, a moral obligation to, uh, to be consistent uh, in, our, uh, in, in our advocacy and exercise of, of, uh, of free speech. Yeah. Uh, and just the last thing I want to ask you, and we, we've mentioned a few uh, stories. Um, what's, a, what's, a, what's a powerful story that really hit you just as you were doing your research uh, through your book, Free Speech? Um, uh, there are so many, but um, I think, you know, someone like Ida B. Wells, um, I, I think is, 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 is amazing. So she's uh, an African-American woman uh, and, and, um, and journalists uh, who uh, I think in the, in the uh, who, who in the South documents uh, the phenomenon of, of lynchings of, of, of African-Americans. Uh, and she shows that, you know, many Southerners, Southern apologists of, 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 of racial lynchings say, well, it's because these Blacks were uh, raping innocent white women. And she, she documents through fearless journalism that this is not the case. Uh, and in fact, uh, this is just a, a, a way to justify these um, uh, lynchings um, as a way to keep black people in their place, but also to cover over the fact that there are in fact often white women who voluntarily want to engage in sexual relations uh, with black men, which is something that white Southern honor cannot, uh, cannot uh, fathom or, or tolerate at all. Um, and so she writes uh, on this and then um, she's, she's, she's chased out of the South and has to flee to to uh, to Chicago. Her her uh, her newspaper is burned uh, to the ground, attacked, destroyed. Um, but I think that her her precedent uh, is 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 really strong and, and compelling. And I think that really shows what uh, speaking truth to power uh, means and, and 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 the potential of of, of free speech to to documenting and, and ultimately overcoming injustice. Yeah. Well, Jacob, I know that people are going to want to, you know, keep up with you, get the, get your book free speech as well. And I mean, you got a great podcast series that goes along with it too. Where's the best place for people to go to keep up with you, get the book, all of that stuff. Yeah. So you can, um, you can uh, uh, go to Twitter for instance. Uh, so that's uh, uh, at J and then my last name. Uh, J-M-C-H-A-N-G-A-M-A. -A. You can also go to uh, jacobmshingama.com, uh, which is my website where all my articles, interviews, reviews, and everything related to the book uh, is. And then you can uh, uh, go to, if you really want to go down the rabbit hole of, of free speech history, uh, you can also check out my podcast, Clear and Present Danger, A History of Free Speech. 40 plus episodes on, on the history of, of, of free speech going into even more detail than the book. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and thanks for doing the work. Thank you, Caleb. Uh, it was a pleasure. So there's a lot to unpack there, you know, from that conversation with Jacob. And here, here are just a few of my thoughts, you know, immediately after. I think the first one is this, is that free speech is such a critical, or plays such a critical role in, um, in many of our freedoms, you know, here in the United States. And freedom of speech allows us to 
criticize, you know, people and or particularly people in power, uh, you know, especially as it pertains to uh, the government or people that we uh, we disagree with. And I think we have to be slower to react to to trying to censor other people on on ideas that we may disagree with even if we deem them harmful. And the reason is, is because the harm that can come from giving up free freedom of speech is a whole lot more than the harm that can come from us uh, choosing to live with some of the harm that comes with free speech. And I think, you know, one, one of the ideas that I've just been thinking about with it is that yes, there there are definitely th- harmful things that can be said as it pertains to uh, freedom of speech and how how we can use our words. However, the harm that comes from free speech and from people you know maybe saying ideas and words that that can be mean, that can be harmful, that can be um in some cases very very abusive as well. Um. It is different than the harm that comes from actual uh, physical violence. And I think for me, that is another distinction as well. And and again, this is where it gets, uh, it can get difficult because they both can cause harm. You know, both our, our words and our actions. But those are just a couple of things that I'm thinking about with this, I think another thing is that I think there's a very strong tendency in all of us to want to censor or um, or limit the the amount of space that ideas that we disagree with can take. Um, that we try to limit the amount of space that ideas that we disagree with can take up, and that there's a a tendency for us to uh, try to inhibit those ideas sometimes and what just comes to my mind um you know or let me let me back up and say you know just as we were mentioning in the interview with martin luther and as i was going through the book that is just one of the one of the astounding things is that you know people are very much for freedom of speech whenever it benefits them but whenever it hinders their ideas their um and what they might view as um as their beliefs um, we are we are very we can be very quick to try to censor the other per, the other person or people in this matter. And I think the last thing is is just the idea or the quote that we mentioned in there that I mentioned in there is that heresy and orthodoxy are two sides of the same coin. Both depend on being defined and enforced by authority. And I think that's why uh, something like critical thinking is very important for us to determine. Because a lot of what is allowed and what isn't allowed is determined by the authorities in our life. And some of that can be good. Some, you know, we can pick up a lot of good things from that. However, what can also happen is that people can use their, their power to manipulate uh, for their own gains or for things that benefit themselves. And I think just learning to decipher that and to understand what is happening through skills like critical thinking and understanding, uh, okay, why was this established as a heresy? Or why was this established as an orthodoxy? Or as orthodox? And just learning through many of those different things. So with, I guess, all of that said, I'm still trying to learn a lot and get my head wrapped around a lot of these things. Free speech will continue to be something that, you know, we explore here on the podcast. And I would love to hear from you and some of the things that you took away from this conversation, some of the things that have really stood out to you, or um, if you have good suggestions of uh, people to uh, bring on the podcast, or if you have ideas of... Uh, of what might be good books for me to, you know, learn from and all of that stuff. I would love to, you know, hear from you on that. Again, learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com would be the best way to reach out to me. 
And yeah, if you want to keep up, you know, look at the blog for all of the different resources that I'm recommending. I know uh, that just just like me, you got a limited amount of time that you can and and money that you can use to you know purchase books or audiobooks or or whatever that might look like and you got a limited amount of time to learn and that's the purpose of the blog is for me to just recommend hey these are some of the best things that i am learning from and some of the uh, people that i am learning the most from as well so uh also if you would leave a rating and write a review of the podcast that would mean a ton that helps us uh, spread the word about the podcast and you know get all of this stuff out as well That's all that I have for today. My name is Caleb Mason. Uh, And man, I almost forgot. I do want to give a couple of quick thank yous. I want to say thanks to Sam Massey. Thanks to Jacob for being on. uh, First of all, thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thanks to Jacob for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. And now here's the real ending. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.